available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everybody, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the Scout.com network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com, the USC site on the Scout.com network. And we are the Podcast of Champions. If you'd like to email us, our email address is Pac12Podcast at gmail.com. You can tweet us on the Twitters uh, at Pac12Podcast, our website, Pac12Podcast.com. And if you want to call and leave a voicemail, you can do that, too, 641 715 3900 extension 734972 leave us a voicemail we'd love to play it on the next pac 12 podcast whenever that may be we just don't know at this point but we're getting down we're getting close to the season dave and i'm really excited about our guest for today yeah we get uh we get ted miller today ted how are you man outstanding <laughs> i like that intro there wow. <laughs> we didn't really give ted well you can follow ted on twitter at ted miller rk at ted miller RK does a great job. He's out there in Arizona. Did a great job covering the Pac-12 for for years. And we want to kind of talk about your current situation now, Ted. Uh, but yeah, that's, we really appreciate you having on. We had you on probably a couple years ago, I think, talking Pac-12 at like one of the Pac-12 media days, I think. Yeah, I've always enjoyed the the, the, the detente of this show between you uh, <laughs> Trojans and Bruins. It just it just warms the cockles of my heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we 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 kind of bridged the gap with just general snark about uh, both of those programs, and I provide it I provide it generally for UCLA, and Ryan provides it generally for USC. It's great, it's wonderful. <laughs> well, Ted, so much love in the air. There's there's love, and we do appreciate you uh, you know kind of coming on and. Talking about the Pac-12, we got Pac-12 Media Days coming up, and uh, hopefully Dave and I will be doing uh, more frequent shows, more than every couple of weeks or so. But you know, we texted you. I, you know, there was a whole lot kind of going on. I don't know if you want to give kind of people a general, hey, here's what's going on with Ted Miller right now, just for, you know, from the whole ESPN thing and everything. You know, I, I was among, and it wasn't just ESPN, but ESPN was the lead in the uh, in the the AP story, so to speak, on it. Was that I was among the cuts on April 26th. Uh, over a hundred people, some of them made it very public, some of them were pretty quiet about it. But it was a lot of uh, people who have been doing uh, sports journalism and sports TV for a long time, and it was I, I was completely shocked. I'm still under contract for another year until uh, May of next year, so I'm I'm fine. And I've had some some stoves in the uh, fire, so to speak, with a couple of places. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that I, I'm going to get something that's going to be worth my while to stay in the business. And, so, uh, and, and you know, hopefully even cover this football season. I, I don't know what's going to happen yet with that, but uh, we'll see. And, uh, you know, it was it was across everybody. I mean, it was, you know, I had sympathetic uh, communications with people that shortly thereafter found they were getting losing their jobs at Sports Illustrated or Fox or, even Bleacher Report and some of these other sites. I mean, everybody was trimming how sporting this. So it, sports journalism is, is at a crossroads, especially the written form. I mean, Fox is going entirely to video. Uh, you know, I, I'll say for the record, I think that's completely stupid. But, I mean, those are people who do metrics and have all sorts of insights into the audience today. So maybe I'm wrong. But, uh, 
that's kind of where it is. I mean, people who are sports writers who write about this primarily, I mean, I've done videos, I do podcasts, I do radio, but my bread and butter is writing stories. And, 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 and that right now is a questionable enterprise if you uh, <laughs> have a good job. I think, you know, we've all kind of, I mean, we've all kind of had that morden, like kind of morbid talk about, you know, sports journalism is dying. And that's been going on for like 10 years now, 12 years now. What do you, it seems like, and you know, I think you've touched on this, but like everyone's trying to reinvent the wheel and all this different stuff, trying to, you know, go full video at Fox Sports, you know, and that's not even just sports journalism. I think MTV is going full video with their newfound, like long form site. I mean, does this all seem kind of crazy to you? I mean, do you have any insight into, you know, why why there is always this kind of trying to reinvent the wheel with different technological offerings with sports journalism? You mentioned, you mentioned MTV, and I, I think that's a perfect example is that, you know, some of this is going to be dated because our audience in some places is going to be a lot younger than their, their 40s. But in the 80s, MTV just became a juggernaut, a cultural juggernaut. The rock video was the biggest thing. I mean, if you were in high school in the 80s, you had to keep up with the rock videos. Like, that was the most important thing. It wasn't the songs as much as, as being, seeing the, the, the premiere of the new Madonna video, the new Motley Crue video. I mean, it was just an absurdity that this stuff mattered as much as it did. And I remember listening to the guys in R.E.M. making fun of it, and I thought they were idiots. Rock music videos are, are the new medium. It's a new art form. You combine, combine music and, and video. Well, guess what? Rock videos are dead, and, and what survives? Music. People still like music. And I, I really do believe that this, the, 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 kind of the executive level self-justification of a product changing constantly for an audience and going viral or whatever, I think that you have to participate in that, but that needs to be secondary. To me, Quality work always prevails. And markets change, the business changes, and, you know, sometimes the revenue changes. And part of the problem with having stockholders is they always want to see new streams of revenue, and that blocks out long-term thinking. I think that someone is going to say, if we give people the best quality product and just say we're going to stick with that, that's going to prevail in the long term. I mean, I have a friend who's, who was a, is a Facebook millionaire. He got out of Facebook. He's now just kind of just independently wealthy, he's a comedian, and set, et cetera. And he told me, like, clickbait. He, he thought clickbait was the interesting thing to look at now is that you even see it, is that people get bored after a while of hitting those links, you know, top ten Hollywood romances, top ten Hollywood rivalries, biggest, you know, idiots in Hollywood. <laughs> and you click that, and it's not, it's not rewarding. You go there, and it makes you hit, like, ten slides, and you're just eventually like, ah! And so you stop clicking it, and then clickbait dies. And so you, you wonder what's next. And I, I think that uh, I think a cleaner presentation of stuff, giving people uh, stuff, uh, control over the content they get and, and not forcing ads down their throat constantly is going to be the new way to do this. And I think we're going to see that. I think I think eventually subscription rates will work. And uh, and I think that people will pay for good quality content from reporters who know what they're doing. And that's yeah. just my hunch. I, I just always feel like the audience eventually drifts back to quality. Yeah, and I, I don't even think it's, and I don't even think it's like that super long term. I think what a lot of these companies kind of run into is short term versus long term thinking. Because in the short term, yeah, I guess you know, going full video and doing a bunch of pre roll ads that show up before a video, yeah, that's going to generate some money. But in the long term, you're going to turn off 
basically everybody who watches this because if i mean if anybody was paying attention to the response to the fox sports thing it was all these people who go to those sites saying i never watch videos this is going to make this site insufferable so it might work for six months or a year and generate some more money but in the long term you're killing your business and it just uh, you know it's it's hard to it's hard to think how they're actually doing any kind of forward thinking whatsoever well, I would just say to someone, you know, say the average, your listener right now, I would say to the person, all right, try to think of the last 10 videos you've looked at in any of these sports sites. And most of them probably won't even be able to remember which ones they are. But, like, what was the best thing you got out of any of those videos? And, you know, they'll be stumped because it's, it's just it's kind of like this mind candy that doesn't do anything. And, you know, I think you, you would find a lot of them would, would say, well, have you read any good articles lately? could come up with a pretty good article they read that moved them or affected them or, you know, it might not even be sports. It'd just be something else. But, I mean, I just think that that comes down to the video stuff is this mind candy, and it's going to lose its traction, I think, with people, especially because it's just regurgitated. You know, it's dumbed down. It's regurgitated. It's, it's you know, hey, so what do you think of the key in the Stanford-USC game is going to be? Well, I think when Stanford has the ball, they're going to really want to score some points, and USC – Conversely, is going to try to stop them. They're going to try to put up a defensive wall and keep Stanford out of the end zone. Whereas Stanford, when they have the ball, they're going to be aggressive. They want to score points. They're going to throw the ball. They're going to run the ball. They're going to try to score more points than USC. And at the end of the game, the team that has the most points is going to win this thing, I guarantee you. And that's the kind of analysis you get sometimes on those, those sound bites. And, it's, you know, it's, it's the inflection. You're like, wow, I'm hearing something really interesting. And then you realize, no, I'm not. Ted, I think, I think you're just – I think you just got a job. Yeah. I mean, I I think you're you're on, you're on prime time right now. I mean, that that was that was that was an head-on impression of a few people I can think of. Um, Dave, kind of along those lines, Ted. Uh, you know, we're talking about the the television and the videos and all that stuff. I wanted to talk about the Pac-12 network a little bit. I mean, the just the numbers that keep coming out as far as discrepancy between, you know, what like a USC or UCLA makes compared to like a Rutgers. Uh, it just seems to be the gap is, uh, widening quite a bit. And, you know, they got you, the Pac-12 is in this long-term contract. We don't even know what the future of TV rights are. I mean, I, I don't know what you feel about it. If you feel like the Pac-12 kind of signed their life away and they're missing this boom that's going on that, you know, could go away with all the cord cutting too. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the full ownership thing, I, I think that so there's some people over the Pac-12 network that maybe think that they're, you know, crazy like a fox in the sense that there's a complete ownership and that if things go a la carte, that pays off in the long term. Uh, there's an impatience there. I, I understand that completely. I mean, uh, I think that almost all the schools thought they were going to be making more money right now than they are off the network. And, you know, and I'll be honest, I mean, I, you know, I've communicated with the Pac-12 network and I, and I, I <laughs> I think I could help them. I think I could be, uh, I think I could pay off as a guy that, that could, you know, help the Pac-12 network cause, so to speak. We'll see, you know, we'll see if anything comes of that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think that it's, it's, it's easy to judge what's going on in the Pac-12 network. I do, I think that there was a lot of justification for the dice roll they made initially. It made a lot of sense and it showed, and it seemed a little, uh, uh, a little psychic in some ways with the cord cutting because they didn't tie themselves completely to the idea of, of cable as being the only way to do it. And, and ownership of this thing, if it becomes a la carte, owning that thing means that, you know, you, you have subscription rates. And I think that you'd have more people, a very specific subscription rate where like, I'm a, I'm a West Coast football fan. I'd pay five bucks a month for the Pac-12 network. In fact, I, you know, I may cut, cut the cord myself at some point. 
and I would buy the Pac-12 network. Why? Because I like Pac-12 football. I like Pac-12 sports. That's why I would buy it, and I think that might be the future where everybody just, instead of having 750 channels of which you watch four, would just go through the list and pick out the top 50, and then you end up watching them all, and I think that might be the model. You know, you'd be watching on your phone or your pad or whatever, but I, I think that I think you can still make a justification that, that in the long term it might work out, but, you know, that doesn't help anybody in the short term when they're expecting – you know, two or three more million dollars per year, and they're watching the Big Ten and SEC just make so much more money, so much more revenue, that there's a disproportionate uh, uh, profit among the po- Power Five schools. So you have, you know, s- subsets within the Power Five of the, of the top two conferences and then, then the top, you know, the top teams in those top conferences. So, you know, all Power Five schools obviously are not created equal, and I'm sure that folks at USC think, you know, <laughs> You know, we're one of the t- top 10 revenue producing football programs in the country, and, and some of them might feel like they're weighed down by the equity of the Pac 12's deal. I, I'm, I'm going to leave that up to the uh, decision makers at the, at the schools in the Pac 12. But I mean, I, I do think the Pac 12 network probably has a, has a pretty decent shot of figuring this thing out. And, and I think the total ownership might actually pay off down the road. I'm not sure if that's much consolation, but that's what I feel. Yeah, I, I think if you're taking definitely if you're taking a long view, um, just looking at the trends with all of cable and everything, you know, with ESPN and with a bunch of different companies that you know, with the hemorrhaging of um, subscribers from different cable networks, you know, there's going to be at some point the piper is going to be paid. But I, you know, it is that balance between short term and long term. And you know, what I'm always kind of curious about, and I'm not sure if there's like a perfect answer for it, but how does that revenue gap play out? You know, is it strictly in coaching salaries? Is it in recruiting funds? Um, what's your sense of it? Um, you know, when when you hear things like the SEC is going to make what is it? What is it, Ryan? Like four or five times per school than the Pac-12, or is it even more than that? Yes, it's it's pretty bad. It's, it's something. Like it's that. crazy. But but when you hear something like that, I mean, well, it's not it's not an it? exponential number, but it's a it's it's a, it's a significant percentage more. Yeah, yeah I mean, right. it's not like double, but it's it's a lot. <laughs> what's your sense of how that plays out in terms of? Uh, what it actually means to the program and to you know uh, the the varying degrees of you know uh, of of power five schools well i mean uh i think that a lot of times whenever when something seems like a boom industry and 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 everybody starts to say one thing that the opposite ends up being true uh i was a stock picking genius in the 90s you guys i was so freaking smart i just I remember the day I said to my future wife, the way things are going now, I can retire in my 50s, was the day, of course, everything started to go to hell. <laughs> Just as it went with real estate. Everybody, real estate more. No, this is natural. Housing is the one thing. It's just, no, wrong. You know, I mean, so you got to wonder if you're a school that's spending twice as much as everyone else on facilities and coaching staffs and all these things, is it going to be endless? I mean, are the next round of broadcast contracts going to be better than this round? Is Alabama going to continue to be Alabama when Nick Saban retires? You know, yeah. what happens if Alabama can't lure Dabo Sweeney down and they hire some coach, he's mediocre. And let's, let's remember, I mean, that there was a pretty fallow period after Bear Bryant there. Now, I know that Gene Stallings won a national championship, but that's a program that struggled and meandered around for a long time and had Louisiana Tech tech taking a knee in Tuscaloosa because they whooped them you know (laughs) so these things can change pretty rapidly and uh, I think that people 
predicting dire things, I mean, that's usually not the way it's going to play out. I think the college, college football fans in general need the sport to have a lot of teams that are competitive. You know, I, I'm a personal believer. You call me a socialist, but I, I do think there should be some type of limits on the size of coaching staffs. I think that, that everybody should be kind of playing the same type of game uh, at the collegiate level where you have, you know, nine assistant coaches and maybe nine uh, support staff members or maybe 20 support staff members, but you cap that number so it's much more equitable in terms of the competition level. I, I, a lot of people disagree with me. I know Andy Staples vehemently disagrees with me. We've argued about this before, but I just feel like this idea of keep continually throwing money at these issues kind of gets ridiculous. And I think that, that that's eventually going to bite some of these teams in the butt, including some of these high-revenue teams. I mean, hey, let's take our team to Europe. Let's spend $8 million to have them touring <laughs> Italy, and that'll be a recruiting thing a la Jim Harbaugh. Well, eventually some of that stuff kind of, you know, you wonder if it, it, it becomes uh, a burden for the program and, and there's a backlash and, and the economy goes down, including the broadcast deals, which we're seeing now. So I just think, I think there's a little bit of an overreaction. I think the inequity is, is, is it, I think 20 years from now, there'll be different issues uh, facing college football than we're fretting about now. And I don't think it'll be like, we won't be looking at USC and UCLA and saying, man, they're no longer playing big-time football because it just became like 10 teams on the East Coast. That's just not going to happen. That's not, what's, that's not how the, the sport is organized. You need that regional sense across the country. Now, might there be some contraction where you only have 40 teams in the Power Five or in the major league level in college football? You know, does it become completely professionalized 10 years down the road? Maybe. Uh, but that's a different model, and I, I'm not smart enough to figure that out. Hey, Ted, we got an email, and I, I, we're, I was going to read it on our last show we did, but I'm glad I got to save it for you. I didn't even realize this was happening, I, and I apologize. I didn't write down the name of the person that emailed it to me, but it's a, a little bit of an issue as far as Pac-12 Bulls go, so I'll read it to you. Uh, bear with me. He says, now that we can expect to see Fox a big player in Pac-12 football programming, as it will be broadcasting both the USC-Stanford and USC-Texas game to start the 2017 season. We're noting that FS1 will get its first ever bowl telecast in its four-year history of the network. It's taking the Holiday Bowl away from ESPN, which had the Holiday Bowl since 1978. When FS1 uh, airs this year's Holiday Bowl, December 28th from San Diego, featuring the usual Pac-12 host against a Big Ten team, uh, kickoff will be at 6 p.m. So far, so good. But you ask, what's airing over on ESPN then? Well, as it so happens, at the very same time, ESPN will be showing the Alamo Bowl, which uh, we don't have to remind you also features a Pac-12 team against a Big 12 school. This can't help the Holiday Bowl, which drew the top cable viewership last December 27th, like 4 million people, and was down from the USC-Wisconsin game the year before. And we can't help but asking, how does the Pac-12 and two of its highest-profile bowl matchups end up competing against itself? Well, that's just that's just awful. I mean, you know, I, I was, you know, I... I, I I was thinking that uh, for some reason, uh, you know, we and I discussed it before we went on, like that, you know, it was Alamo Bowl versus uh, one of the uh, the lesser things, uh, which would would be more justifiable. Uh, I think you'd have some uh, Pac-12 fans that say that you know they root for their team, but they're not, you know, they're not they're more pro fan based. They're not like the SEC where they watch every single SEC team in the bowl game that they watch their team and that's it in the Pac-12. Nonetheless, it does. I mean, it's it's that is a. Uh, a not a good thing for the Pac-12 by any measure, and I, I, you'd hope that there would be administrators who would politely say to Fox and ESPN and the bowl games, by the way, hey, you know, 
let's not do this. This is just silly. This is bad for the conference. You know, we're partners in this. ESPN is, you know, in, in some ways a partner with Fox. So there should be a way to work this all out and, and to not have this situation. And, uh, you know, I, again, like I don't, I, negotiating those TV deals and all that type of stuff, that's not my ballywick. But that is a stupid situation. <laughs> I think everybody would agree with it that it's just stupid. And, uh, I don't, you know, if, if I were still working, I might try to find out why it's happening. Right now. But, uh, it's, uh, I'll leave that to one of you guys to, to figure out exactly the justification for doing that. Yeah, and I wonder how many other leagues have similar issues that we just don't hear about because you know we're way over here on this on this coast. Um, you know whether you know an SEC school runs into this or if it's just you know if it's just something that kind of happens to the Pac-12 a little bit more because we've seen like s- some scheduling issues as well. I think um, whatever school it was was it Arizona two years ago that went the entire season without a bye week. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, it was Arizona. Mm-hmm. USC, yeah, USC, USC won't have that's, one this That's season. happened. Yeah, that's, that's, that's just a scale, scheduling reality. I mean, I've had those explained to me. I mean, that is what you're, you're making a good point. I mean, sometimes it's just it's a matter that the, just putting the dates together with traditions for the, the communities and all these things, and it just works out that way. I mean, you know, sometimes a, the, the, a team is going to be playing eight games in a row at 7.30 p.m. And it UCLA. Stinks for fans, it stinks for its players. Yeah, I mean, that's just how it goes sometimes. And, you know, it, part of that deal is that when you sign big money TV contracts and you're all happy about getting all that money is that you, you yield control. They're buying control of these scheduling, scheduling of these games from the programs. So that's kind of how it works. I mean, it's, it, 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 it's not like there's honestly, there is no one in a corner somewhere going, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> I'm going to ruin everybody's fun by scheduling these two bowl games head to head. I don't, I don't think it's how it works like that. But you just worry about, is it incompetence? Is that why it happens? <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, is, is it possible that somewhere in this process someone did a bad job? Yes. Yeah. Um, hey, Dave, and let's, uh, I thought you want to go over the, the, the odds. Maybe we can go through each team individually and uh, yeah, yeah. we can get everyone's yeah, thoughts. We, you want to do that? Yeah. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's buy or sell these odds. Okay. So we're gonna, I'm going to start at the bottom. These are from Bovada. These are the odds to win the Pac-12 championship game. So I wanted to, I'll play our little, uh, uh, theme music and then Ted will kind of get your thoughts on this team if you think the odds are right. And then, you know, any, any kind of notes or whatever you have. And, and Dave and I can chime in afterwards and we'll move on to the next team. But first up at, uh, 500 to one, uh, to win the Pac 12, we have California Golden Bears. You know, I, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I think that it, 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 there's going to be uh, near unanimous uh, sentiments at Pac-12 Media Days. Not maybe not because people are contrarian about the champion, but I think USC is going to be at the top of almost everybody's ballot, and I think Cal is going to be at the bottom of everybody's ballot. I think some people might put Arizona there, but they're not looking at the schedule. I mean, Cal has got a tough schedule, a new coach very little talent and no returning quarterback, which 11 other teams can say they've got some experience behind center. And in the Pac-12, that usually is, is a pretty good thing to have. I definitely think that uh, if you were going to put uh, 100 bucks on Cal, you'd probably be burning 100 bucks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is this is light on fire odds. I wouldn't, I wouldn't take this. I think I wouldn't put a dollar up for 500 bucks here. Like, I would not do it. I, I need that dollar for other things. I'm just like, I didn't understand Justin Wilcox 
as defensive coordinator. And I certainly don't understand him as head coach. I mean, who knows? Maybe he'll prove me wrong. But that that's just, I don't know. It seems a bit of a stretch, and they just seem to be in a lot of trouble. Yeah, you know, it was it was an interesting hire. I mean, I, you know, I really liked Justin Wilcox when I knew him at Boise State, and you know, at Washington even. But at USC, he just kind of like seemed like he kind of lost his mojo. He just looked like he was unhappy, and you know, he lost all that weight and just seemed kind of grumpy. And maybe when he went to Wisconsin, he regained whatever he lost there. I mean, he just, you know, even when he was successful, he didn't look really happy at USC. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean. That's an interesting hire. I, I will say this: Wilcox decided to to pay his staff very well and to, yeah. to not ask for a bunch of money for himself, and that allowed him to hire a pretty good staff. So, I, you know, I, I, if I were a Cal fan, this may not be a very fun season, but I, you know, I had my fingers crossed in an optimistic way over Wilcox having a chance to do a pretty good job there. He's worked for some pretty good coaches, so you know he knows how things work. We were at the, I think, I guess it was uh, Levi Stadium during a Pac-12 championship game with Stanford and. Justin Wilcox, you could hear him oh, screaming because the, the, the. I almost went back there and told him that everybody was. I, you know, I, you're not supposed to get involved as a media person, but I just the milk of human kindness is like, dude, everybody can hear you. <laughs> yeah, L- Lindsay's Lindsay theories uh, live tweets of that whole thing were the highest of high comedy. <laughs> I think I she was. I think I she was probably sitting right by the wall, and so she could hear it all. It was great. Yeah, I, I put a couple like videos where I just was like filming the field, but you could hear him screaming through, and it was really Christian McCaffrey just running all over them. And I was like, well, maybe you want to cover him as opposed to just yelling in this press box. I'm not sure what's going to happen. <laughs> it was bizarre. But we wish Cal the best of luck. 501, though. So if you're a Cal fan, you can make some cash. Uh, maybe the athletic department can put a lot of money on that because they're, they're in trouble, right? So they, you know. <laughs> Let it ride. Let it ride, Cal. 500 to they've 1. They've got some issues. They've got some issues. <laughs> let, financially, yeah. Yeah, let what ride. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's go next up. We have two teams tied. We'll start with Oregon State Beavers. And they're 100 to 1 to win. Well, you know, I'll say this about Oregon State is that Oregon State is, is not going to win the Pac 12 next year. But they're going to beat some people who underestimate. I mean, I, I think Gary Anderson is creating a team the way he wants to create a team, which is what he wasn't getting to do at Wisconsin with Barry Alvarez kind of dictating how business is run. Everybody's acted like that was purely an academic issue. I, I don't think it was that way. I think that Barry Alvarez was trying to tell uh, Gary how to coach, and Gary's now at Oregon State, and he's building a program in his own image, which is kind of stressing some toughness and uh, his own offensive scheme, his own defensive scheme, and uh I think that Oregon State is a is a good threat for a bowl game this year. I think they're going to upset somebody who's good, uh, but I, I certainly am not putting on any money for them to win the conference, especially in the North. I I, I just yeah. I think that they've got a lot of teams to jump over. Yeah, I'd feel better about a hundred to one if they were in the South. Like that that might be something you know worth looking at. But there's just you know you've got Washington, Stanford, Washington State, who are all probably better than Top Oregon 25 State. Twenty five teams. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, and then you've got I mean Oregon is probably going to be improved this year. Um so it that's just a tough that's a tough road. And you know, I think you're right. I think they're going to be a bull team this year. I think they you know have a chance to be, you know, they're definitely on the upswing, but 100 to 1 in the north is just that's that's too rich for me. Yeah, the north is really tough. And we're, you know, I don't want to speak for Dave, but I think we're both Gary Anderson fans and and Beaver fans. We like yeah. to see uh, you know, especially when Ryan Nall runs over people, we love that. Um <laughs> but you know, winning, I think I think Ted's right. I think this is a, you know, we talked about Colorado trying to make a bowl game, then they end up winning 10 games. I think the same thing could happen with Oregon State. Not necessarily 10 wins, but, you know, 
go from they keep moving up, get better every year, make a bowl game, and like Ted said, beat somebody you don't expect them uh, to beat. So, yeah, I think on the upswing for sure, winning the North, I mean, it's going to be so tough in the North. I just don't see it happening. Um, yeah. All right. Well, well, the other team that's 100-1 to 1 is – Oh, wait, it's, uh, yeah, this one. Arizona Wildcats. Yeah, uh, that, that makes sense to me. I, here's, here's a couple of things about Arizona. And, and you're going to hear me, Brent, as we talk about teams. Conference misses. The inequity of conference misses this year is almost funny for some teams. Arizona's north misses are Stanford and Washington. That, I think, just that is going to keep Arizona from finishing last in the South. I think that somebody else is going to finish last in the South. I also, I look at Arizona's roster and I see some, some potential for improvement at quarterback. I see some good running backs. I see a veteran offensive line. I think the defense is going to be much better in second year under Marcel Yates. Uh, I think he had a lot of stuff going on for himself off the field, personal after he moved from Boise State. I don't think he's as distracted as he was last year making that transition. And I think Rich Rodriguez is probably best when he's a little crispy, when he's a little angry, and I think he's angry. And I, I think Arizona is going to be a team that's going to scrape out a couple wins that we don't see coming, and the schedule is going to help them. Are they going to win the South? No. But, you know, two years ago, no one picked them to win the South, and they did. So, you know, maybe they've got a couple of Scooby rights tucked away on defense that we don't know about right now. They're going to break out and make that defense a lot better. I mean, they don't have a ton of talent. There's no one on that defense that makes you go, oh, my gosh at least right now. Um, a couple guys in the secondary are solid, but I mean, I, I, I don't, you know, in the Pac-12, uh, just as a general blanket statement, I think the only easy out this year is going to be Cal. Otherwise, I think everybody is going to be good enough to beat you. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's completely fair. And, um, you know, looking at it, the, the road slate isn't as bad as it could be. They do have five, road versus four home but um you know usc is a loss no matter where you play them um cal on the road you know that's a game you know if you can have cal on the road versus ucla on the road i think you'd take cal on the road because that's a road game you can win um and then you can probably beat ucla at home if those were flipped you know ucla on the road that's a little bit more difficult of a game than cal on the road so yeah i I mean I, i i think they've got not even a puncher's chance, but like if, if, you know, every other team slips and falls badly, they, they could maybe do something crazy, but I, I, I don't see it. But, um, yeah, I think a hundred to one's about right. They, it's funny. So two yeah. years ago, Arizona wins the South last year, one and eight in conference. So it's got to get better. I don't know if it'll get good well, enough. I mean, to, I, you know, yeah. if, if we're going to look at a scenario in the South of, of where one of these teams that's not highly thought of wins it, I mean, and I don't like speculating on injuries, but let's just throw out hypothetically if USC lost Darnold at quarterback. And USC obviously through the years has, has done some of its worst work when everybody, you know, is handing them bouquets of roses. Exactly. Speaking in rainbows about them. So, you know, there's still that. I, Clay Helton doesn't seem like the type of coach who's going to like get distracted by that, like Steve Sarkeesian, like Lane Kiffin would. So I don't think that's going to happen. But if you do write a scenario for one of these long shots in the South, it's going to have to involve something weird happening at SC. Because I'll just say it right now, USC is is I'd be shocked if they don't win the South. I mean, I just I just think they're a lot better than everyone else. Yep. Uh, okay, so next up, uh, we got their neighbor uh, at fifty to one, Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, you know, I think that Arizona State, Arizona State's misses are Cal, that's not good for them, and Washington State, which is is kind of good, but not necessarily. I, you know, I think that the, that the Arizona Arizona State game is going to have probably the, the exclamation point for one of those two teams having a good or bad season. And I think the loser of that game may be looking for a new head coach. Uh, so, you know, I think Arizona State's got some talented players. They can't possibly be worse on defense. Phil Bennett, the, the new hire uh, as defensive coordinator, he's a proven commodity in terms of coordinating a defense. Uh, and, you know, they've got some pretty good players on offense. So I, I, think, I, I definitely think if Arizona State stays healthy and does its thing, that it's, it's, it's a bold team plus. And it could be a team that moves up in the standings if, if things come together correctly. Now, they've got questions on their offensive line, and I always get kind of nervous with teams that are not very good on the offensive line. So that has to be answered. But, you know, ASU's got, got the talent to be a lot better than they were last year. Last year was just kind of a disaster in a lot of different ways. Uh, and, 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 you know, you talk to the folks there, they'll point at injuries, you know, using four or five quarterbacks at various times. Uh, Arizona State is, is definitely not going to be a bad team. And, uh, you know, Todd Graham knows that he's got some pressure on him. So time to, to put up or shut up. And, uh, you know, that, that, that rivalry in the state of Arizona could get very interesting by season's end. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting entering that conference season because they've got San Diego State at home and then Texas Tech on the road to close out non-conference play. And I, those aren't ideal games to be playing right into, right into conference play. Um, going on the road to Lubbock and then get Oregon at home. How they do in those two games and how it, you know, kind of affects the start of conference play could be pretty interesting for them. Well, dude, dude, Oregon, Stanford, yeah. and you get an off week in front of Washington. That's yeah. that's a that's a pretty tough rule. I know Oregon and Stanford kind of like don't have that that pedigree they might have had two years ago, but I mean yep. that's still two. That's a rugged start to your conference schedule. That, that it doesn't stop. It. It doesn't stop. It's yeah. at Utah, USC, yeah. um, and then you know Colorado's probably going to take a step back this year, so you get them on November fourth. But it's—I mean—that's a—you'd love to have an Oregon State somewhere in there, or or even Washington State. I think replacing Washington, even though Washington State's going to be good too, uh, they're a little bit more volatile than very consistent Washington. And Ted, yeah, I have, well, I mean, you know, like we said, the, the teams that miss Cal in the South, Arizona State and Utah. Have you know that's a notch against them. I, I, I'm sorry if I'm piling on Cal here, but like it is, <laughs> if you're missing Cal this year, yeah, you're you're missing out. What's <laughs> yeah. well, funny? You talk about Arizona, Arizona State. Both, if I'm not mistaken, both teams return seven offensive players and seven defensive players starters. Uh, Arizona won one Pac-12 game last year. Arizona State won two. Both head coaches are in their sixth season, and you're kind of saying that. It's probably only room for one of them left in the Pac-12. That you know, both of them are probably not going to make their seventh season. That that would be really interesting. I mean, there's a lot of hot seat talk, but that could be a, a you know, a bowl game to keep your head coach. Yeah, I mean, in, in this day and age, I mean, I, you know, I I think both of these guys are good college football coaches. I don't think anybody would argue with that. Uh, in general, are they great college football coaches? I don't know. I don't. I, most people probably say no, but in in in, in this. You know, we, we don't have a lot of patience in big-time college football, and even though both of these guys strung together some nice seasons, you know, last the last couple of years, things have been taking a downturn, and, and a third-year downturn is, is something that you can't make excuses for. You can't just say, well, let's, let us get our recruits in, or, you know, we're young. That, that doesn't work when you're yeah. in season five and six. So that's kind of how it works. I mean, this is, there's a lot of pressure, and like I said, I think that game, the rivalry game, the Territorial Cup, 
will be very meaningful. I know for Arizona and Rich Rodriguez, winning that game at the end of the season this year, this past season, was very important for their kind of state of mind and their feeling about their program. Well, the next two teams are both uh, in the South also, the Mountain teams. We're going to start with 33-1. to 1. Utah Utes. Well, you guys know I was on the Utah bus last year, and I, you know, I feel fairly vindicated. You know, they didn't end up winning the South, obviously, but uh, that was a good football team, and the NFL loved them. I mean, what do they have, eight draft picks? Uh, Utah, the first two years in the Pac-12, had the, the big benefit of missing Oregon and Stanford, and that was kind of a joke. Like, you know, they're missing these two top ten teams, helping them get used to playing in the Pac-12. Well, this year they have the, maybe the worst divisional misses of any conference in the country with Utah is missing Cal and Oregon State, which means they got all the, all the top teams in the North. And I think that's going to make it very hard when you're replacing a whole bunch of starters, a lot of top quality linemen. Now, Utah, which has only nine starters back, fewest in the conference by four. So produces a lot of great linemen and they're probably going to be better than you think. But I think the schedule is going to be tough on them. I think the, the line of scrimmage will not be something they dominate as they have in the past. And they really don't have a whole lot of things that scare you in terms of the skill positions. I think Utah takes a little bit of a step step back this year. I think they're going to be a good football team because they're well coached. Uh, I, I mean, and good football team in terms of getting the most out of their talent. But uh, you know, I don't see them as a big threat in the uh, in the in the South this year. Yeah, and I think until you look at the schedule, you might think uh, 30 31 that's, that's pretty low for Utah because they've been a contender, what, each of the last two, three years? Um, but yeah, when you look at the schedule, it's just, eh, it's tough. I mean, you've got, I mean, you've got Arizona that's probably a win. You've got Arizona State that's probably a win, but then you've got a whole lot of tough. Um, you know, Stanford, <laughs> at USC, at Oregon, well. at Washington, um, you get UCLA at home and, you know, even though this probably won't be, you know, one of the best UCLA teams, those games have been dogfights every single year. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think I'm ever going to see Utah, you know, be bad uh, under Kyle Whittingham. Uh, I just think he's he's too good of a coach. But um, yeah, this could be a year where they're more like a, a, a six and six, seven and five type team. You know, I think, still yep. think they have yep. one of the better. I, I concur. Uh, yeah, I think they have one of the better front sevens in the Pac-12 still. Um, but I mean. Losing so much, Joe Williams. I just don't know. I like Troy Williams a lot at quarterback, but just I'm not sure he needs to take that next step and uh, and really be a superstar. They're going to need to rely on him. I don't know, Ted, what you think about him, but if he has a huge year, then I think they at least have a shot. But they do have a lot of stuff to re- a lot of people to replace. Yeah, I mean, and 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 I mean, it's it's four offensive linemen gone. I mean, I know they've got some guys coming back who have a little bit of experience. You know, a lot of times when you see those departing starters that especially in those line positions, it kind of gets overrated in some ways. But that's a lot of talent to lose in their bread-and-butter areas. And they don't have a lot of guys that's scary. I mean, Troy Williams, in terms of who is going to help him, you know, his receivers, huh. You know, his running game, huh. I mean, they lose Joe Williams, who was, you know, it was, you know had a kind of a strange season last year, but he was incredibly productive when he did play. So – you know, I, I just it, it, if they do it next year, it will be in a way that's going to surprise me because I can't really see how they will. All right, let's move on. Uh, I, I know Ted, uh, Dave's going to put a lot of money next time he goes to Vegas on this one. This is his favorite squad, thirty-three to one. Colorado Buffalo. Yeah, don't dog my buffs. 
I, you know, I, I think that the, I think it's interesting. I, I feel like a lot of people think that Colorado is kind of like a flash in the pan thing, and and I don't see that. I think that their defense obviously is not going to be nearly as good losing eight starters, losing uh, uh, Jim Levitt to uh, Oregon, and <laughs> but their offense returns pretty much intact. And while they lose their starting quarterback, Montez is a good player. I mean, Steven Montez might have is, is a more talented physically physically more talented quarterback than Sefa Leofau was. So I think that they're going to be very good on offense. They're going to be very veteran on offense, and that's going to make up for a rebuilding defense in some ways. Now, are they going to win 10 games again? Are they going to win the South? I don't think so. But I, I, I definitely think that the days of Colorado being the Patsy in the South are done. I mean, uh, this is a team that I, I think it's, a lot of people probably have in the third or fourth spot who, who are looking at the roster and, and, and you know, not letting themselves be you know, won over by the the flimsiness of just oh, it's only a one year one year thing. But I will say, like going back to the to the to the misses here. Here's the thing to to keep in mind: they're missing Oregon and Stanford. Are those is that are those like the top teams in the North? No, but they're in the top four, and um, those are pretty good misses. So again, that boosts your uh, your season and your standing in the South Division if you have those good North misses. And I think Colorado does and. Uh, that's going to help them, and and I think that'll keep them in the race. I I I don't think Colorado disappears, and it certainly wouldn't shock me. Like I I said, you, something is bad. It's going to happen to US, USC for them not to win it. But I think Colorado will be one of those teams that you put a butt maybe next to. Yeah, and if you if you look at their non-conference too, I mean they get a tough matchup to open the year with Colorado State. Um, that's that's a good Mountain West team, but then they get Texas State, and Northern Colorado. So if they you know if they need to gel a little bit still on defense um, you know, breaking <laughs> they'll in, be well rested <laughs> breaking in nine guys you know they can practice some things out in those games there's there's some stuff they can try out um before they get well, and that yeah. game at ucla on the 30th that that's for both teams you're looking for an early season barometer for for where the, the, those programs are going colorado at ucla ucla needs to hold serve at home it needs to regain its fan base and and colorado you know i i, I would count it a loss at Washington, but if Colorado starts 0-2 in the Pac-12, maybe some of those feelings from the past show up again. But I, I, I think that September 30th matchup at, at in Pasadena is going to be big. Yeah, I don't expect them to win 10 games and go 8-1 and in conference, which is ridiculous. I mean, it's crazy. Um, Hater. Huh? No, no, I'm not, I'm not hating on your buffs, but you know, that's my favorite mascot. <laughs> I think Montez though, when we saw him and we, when he, he had like his own time to, you know, he would do well when it was like kind of a switching guys in and out. It just didn't seem like he did it well. Now he's going to be the guy. I think it's maybe addition by subtraction. Like one of the key departures for Colorado is Cephalufau, but one of the key returners is Steven Montez, I'd say. And I think him just being the guy, I think will, the offense will take a step forward. It's just so much to replace. On defense, it, I don't know. It, it could be really tough at times for me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that, that defense is going to have to have some guys uh, that we don't know about right now step up, uh, and it'll be a measure of uh, of their recruiting. I mean, as in how well has Mike McIntyre recruited? Uh, it's not like they've been top twenty five recruiting classes over the past three years, but they were able to put it together last year. And again, like I said, the schedule is fairly favorable, and uh, you know that. You know, if they get some momentum in the early season, which I think a win at UCLA would do, then I would think that if they win that game at UCLA and they're one and one in conference play after playing Washington and UCLA, I think they're in pretty good shape. 
All right. Uh, we're getting, it's getting a little tighter up here now. It's, uh, 16 to 1. We're going to go up north. And this is a really interesting team for me this year. Washington State Cougars. <laughs> they get a meow. <laughs> Very rare that anybody is ever going to pick, I mean, ask Washington State fans about, you know. Yeah. It's, it's difficult for people to pick the team from Pullman to win the Pac 12. I think that. I think throughout the conference, I think throughout the conference media, there's a lot of respect for who Washington State is coming back this year. I would think a lot more highly of them if they hadn't just turned in just an awful. I mean, I was, I don't root for teams, but I was so disappointed in their bowl performance in the Holiday Bowl against Minnesota. They just, I don't know, I don't, I don't understand that. And like, I had Luke Falk on the phone that kind of peppered him about it and seemed to get irritated with me because he didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> but they just, uh, you know, they, they lose some guys at receiver, but otherwise they're going to be really strong on the offensive line. Luke Falk is an NFL prospect at, at, at quarterback. They're good at running back, so they're going to be able to run the ball, especially with that offensive line, and they got a lot of guys back on defense. I mean, they don't, they don't scare you on defense, but they've got experience, and they play good defense in opportunistic situations. If they can just survive, you know, Boise State comes to, to, to Pullman on September 9th. I hope that team is motivated to try to get through its non-conference schedule undefeated because that's been the problem for the Cougs under Mike Leach is they, they kind of go bonehead early in the season and then play well when they get to the Pac-12 slate. And, uh, you know, I think the Cougs, it would not shock me if Washington State shocked a lot of other people and ended up winning the, the, the North Division. Uh, I don't think they're that far behind the Oregons, the Stanfords, the Washingtons. And if things come together in a positive way, this might be Mike Leach's best team since he's been there. Uh, you know, their, their misses are, are manageable, Arizona State and, and UCLA. And, you know, like I said, if they start that non-conference schedule 3-0, and I know they have a conference game somewhere in the middle there. Um, but Oregon State, yeah. I, I, Washington State is a top 25 team. And, it, 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 and I think they're good enough. They're good enough to win the Pac-12 as a whole if things go their way. You omitted the most challenging game on this schedule, Ted, uh, which is Montana State. Montana <laughs> State, the opener. Is that, is that your alma mater? <laughs> no, just FCS, man. FCS, Washington State has issues. Uh, I mean, oh, yeah, they do. You look at uh, so you look at their bowl performance last year, and then you look at, I mean, at, what is it, two losses now to FCS schools under Leach up there? Um, what do you think those are linked? Because one's, you know, one's essentially an exhibition at the end of the season, and the other one is kind of an opening game where it's, you know, it's ex- assumed you're going to win. Is that? Do you think that falls on? Do you think that's just a, you know, a luck thing that will happen to all kinds of programs over time, or is there something inherent with either the way Leach runs that program or just Washington State, you know, the the, you know, the current makeup of the program that causes those things to happen? That's, you know, that's a fair question. I mean, some coaches are great in bowl games. Uh, Kyle Whittingham is, is always wins his bowl game. I mean, what is he, 9-1 and one in bowl games or something like that? And, and, yep. and, and Washington State under Leach has had some indifferent performances. I know two years ago they beat Miami, but that Miami team was going through all sorts of issues with coaches and players and whatnot, and it was a pretty competitive game. But, you know, they had that Colorado State game. They had in the bag. They had that game in the bag. And Mike Leach wouldn't admit afterwards that he just completely blew his clock management. I mean, the game was over, mathematically over, and he just messed it up. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, you could say that, 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 that there's some, some moments of, of, of a lack of motivation or intelligence or, or 
plan of action or whatever you want to say that kind of falls on, uh, on Leach at times, but he also has figured out a way to be pretty successful in conference play. So yeah. they need to get over that hump. They need to get through that. I mean, you look at their schedule. They're going to be on the road almost the whole second half. So they got to, they've got to start fast. They've got to beat Montana State. They need to beat Boise State. Then Oregon State, Nevada, that's all at home. So they should be 4-0 when USC comes to ta- town. And, I mean, I, I, I'd still pick USC to win that game. But Pullman is a tough place to play. Yep. And I think that a lot of USC fans, I, I, Ryan probably remembers Drew Dunning sliding on his knees that time against Carson Palmer, that probably kept uh, USC from winning the 2002 National Championship because that team was probably the best team in the country that year. So, uh, you know, th- we, th- there, are some, there, there are some curiosities about that. And, and, and I think that uh, if I'm a Washington State fan, I hope my team has is, is got its game face on for the very first game of the season, even if it's an AF- FCS team. You know, uh, at 16 to 1, this is probably the first uh, team we've mentioned that I would actually put a few bucks down on. Concerning, like Dave said about the FCS squad, loot losses, they lost their last three games. At the end of the season, you lose Gabe Marks and River Craycraft. They're huge playmakers, but Luke Falk is an absolute stud. Their backfield is great. Um, so I, I do think they, they have a real shot. And going 7-2 and two in conference last year, uh, that was pretty impressive. The weird thing to me, Ted, I wanted you to comment on this. Why the hell is Luke Falk not coming to Pac-12 Media Day? I mean, that just seems ridiculous. You know, it, it, uh, if you want my honest answer, and I guess I can do it, is that I, I think that, that it's kind of someone is sticking his, uh, his thumb in his mouth and biting it at us, and to uh, use a scene from Romeo and Juliet, I think that Mike Leach is going to say, ha, <laughs> screw you. I can do what I want. I can bring, you know, whomever I want. And, you know, uh, a team we haven't yet talked about, I'm sure we'll do this. Like, I, I honestly, you know, I, I feel like Josh Rosen is, is, is a celebrity and a great story, and the fact UCLA is not bringing him and they're pulling that, he's not a senior thing is, is ridiculous because everybody knows he's going to be gone at the end of the season. And, you know, with Luke Falk, there's not even that excuse. So yeah, I, I think that's boneheaded, especially in this day and age where you, you're battling for eyeballs. The idea that they wouldn't bring, bring him is, is, um, is, 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 you know, unfortunate from a media perspective and unfortunate from a Coug fan perspective. But I, I do think that that's Mike Leach kind of flexing his muscles and, and, you know, I love Mike Leach. I mean, <laughs> and the thing about it is, he and I could go back and forth on this and get mad at each other, and he would forget about it within 24 hours and be fine. But, I mean, yeah, I, I, I hate it when teams do it. you got to bring your stars yeah. to Media Day. And, you know, it's funny how USC has managed to be a pretty successful football program, <laughs> always bringing its stars to Media Day. Yeah, those, those nickel and diming things are incredible. And if you want the full and complete list of non-seniors that Jim Mora has brought to Media Day, it is <laughs> true junior Deion Hollins, true junior Xavier Suofilo, and redshirt freshman i want to say tevin mcdonald his first year so that's not even a rule that he abides by so it's crazy is that something larry scott should step in and say look we need as many eyeballs as we can you got a superstar potential and luke falk you got a superstar and josh rosen bring them i don't care what just can larry scott do that and just say look bring these guys just bring them he should. You know, I, I, in the past, they've been like, I know that a few years ago, uh, Arizona State was not going to bring Will Sutton. And, you know, that was going to be a coach's decision. And then uh, they changed their mind because I think a lot of people got mad. Uh, you know, sometimes it's the player. I mean, I know Luke Falk is not a big fan of interviews. I know Josh Rosen worries, you know, maybe he's the one who worries about him saying the wrong thing, more so than even the SID staff there. But, I mean, yeah, I, I, I would like, for that to be something that they say, look, we have media days, these things, we need to get this hype out. 
And Luke Falk is a guy who, you know, could, could manage some hype for this conference. I mean, why don't people know more about it? And you could, some people might say that like Luke Falk doesn't want more people to know about him and Mike Leach is going to support that. But I, I do think that, you know, it's not media whining. It's like we're trying to do our jobs well. I mean, honestly, you, last year with Washington, when they brought, uh, you know, I don't, you know, they brought people that most people hadn't heard of. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I know who Kevin King was, but I mean, a lot of fans didn't, and they brought their tight end. I've forgotten his name is off the top of my head right now, <laughs> and no one was talking to him. I mean, this is Washington, a team that was preseason top ten by a lot of measures, and their players were getting ignored, and everybody's talking to Chris Peterson, and Chris Peterson doesn't like taking questions. I mean, he could have had a bunch of nice features written about Jake Browning and, and other you know superstar players he had in his roster, but he didn't didn't bring them. And you know, Kevin King was great. I mean, I talked to Kevin King. And, you know, a great interview, but those were not the superstars of the Huskies roster. So I, I think that this whole media day thing, it's almost just kind of like a, a way to thumb their nose at reporters and to do things my way and say, I'm in control and not you and not, not any type of sentiments outside of my program. And, you know, if, if you're winning games like Chris Peterson is, you can get rid of it, what, what way with it. And if you have a really nice season like Mike Leach did, you can get away with it. But I think, that, you know, when you're like Jim Moore and you're kind of embattled now, you know, it's, it just doesn't seem very productive to not bring a guy who's, who's a national figure like Josh Rosen. Let's, uh, let's move on. 16 to 1, also, just like Washington State, we have Oregon Ducks. Yeah, Oregon, Oregon is going to be better this year. I mean, I think they would have been better if they didn't make a coaching change. Uh, I think Mark Helfrich, you know, obviously things weren't going very well for them. But, I mean, they were, they, they were playing so many young players last year. You just look at who was playing. And people would say, well, that's recruiting. But, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think Oregon is, was kind of an anomaly last year. I think they're going to be back to a, a team that wins eight or nine games. To me, their moment is that when they announce their return is at home against Nebraska and Mike Riley on September 9th. I think that's a huge game for them to say, hey, we're back to being the Ducks because I think they physically last year, they were every bit the match of Nebraska last year. And they just kept making mistakes to not win the game. I think this year at home, if they beat Nebraska, I think they should beat Nebraska. I think, uh, uh, you know, they've got a quarterback in Justin Herbert who is, who is, who has a lot of potential. He was a true freshman last year and he had some great moments. They've got a lot of their offensive line back who was really young last year. Well, they're not as young this year. They've been in the weight room. They've got energized with a new coaching staff. And they got nine guys coming back on defense. And, and, and Royce Freeman is one of the best running backs in the country. I, I think Oregon is a legitimate threat in the North. Uh, and I think a, a, a top 15 type of team if things fall into place, especially that Nebraska game early is huge. You know, and their misses are pretty fortuitous. I mean, they don't play USC. Washington and Oregon in the North, maybe two, two front runners up there don't play the Trojans. And they also miss Colorado. So, I mean, I think things are stacking up pretty well for Willie Taggart in his first season to get the Ducks back uh, on the winning track. I, I definitely think this team is going to be a lot better than they were last year. I'd be shocked if they if they, they weren't a 7-8 or even 9 or 10 win team. I completely agree. And, and this, Ryan made the point that Washington State is the first one he would think about putting a little bit of money on. I would I would definitely consider putting money on Oregon. Um, they, you know, I'm not giving gambling advice. I'm saying I would definitely consider putting my own money <laughs> on Oregon. Um, but it, it does look manageable. Um, avoiding USC is good. You know, UCLA is talented, but they're not USC by any stretch of the imagination. And uh, getting Cal, you know, you gotta gotta love just being able to play Cal, even though you're in the North. Yeah, you get to play him every year, but you get to play him this year, and that's exciting to think about. Um, 
you know, there's a, there's a semi Stanford, you know, meanwhile, Stanford, their big competitors determined to play the California schools every year. So yeah, that, that forced a weekender series always hurt Stanford a little bit, you know, especially when USC and UCLA are good teams as they should be this year. So, I mean, that's a big boost, I think, for Washington and, uh, and, and Oregon is that, you know, the teams that are in the Northwest, they miss USC every once in a while. And, and both of those teams do this year. That's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, Oregon was two and seven in conference last year. They have to be better. Nobody got drafted off of this Ducks team. Uh, nine returning starters on defense. I don't know if that's good. They gave up, you know, 41 and a half points last year, but they get Jim Levitt, uh, from Colorado. So that should help. I do think the defense is going to be better. I, I like Washington State's chances a little bit better than Oregon's, but I hear what you guys are saying. Royce Freeman has to get back to his form, uh, but he's good. You know Herbert's good. If the defense can play better, I think they do have a real shot. And Washington State has to come to Oregon this year. So, I mean, that, that, that's a, I think that is a, it's one of those games. It's kind of a, you know, how does this team, you know, wheel out of there? I mean, that, they've got a tough stretch there where they get, they get Washington State at home, then they go to Stanford and UCLA. And, uh, you know, and obviously if Oregon is back to being its Oregon self, that rival, you know, I would love personally as, as a, just a fan of, of the, the conference and college football in general, it would be just so wonderful if Washington and Oregon were both elite teams. I mean, cause they, the fan bases can't stand each other. I yeah. mean, <laughs> I, I think it's the most hateful rivalry in the Pac 12. I've been in the middle of it for years. The fan bases can't seem to figure out which which one I favor more. I mean, it's just it's just you know, or hate more or whatever. And I really, I gotta admit, I get a kick out of it. I I love that rivalry, and uh, I would love for that game on November fourth to have some real stakes in the North Division because I think that you'd have lots of TV cameras and lots of eyes and lots and lots of emotion in that stadium. But you know, last year Washington put a whipping on them. 70 points after losing 12 in a row, uh, you know, <laughs> Oregon would love to go to Seattle and get things going back in the negative direction for the Huskies. And that, that, that's a big game in the conference. And I hope it's a big game in the conference. Should we uh, move on to the next one, Dave? Let's do it. All right. So next up we have at nine to one UCLA Bruins. <laughs> you got to love the, the, the fact that everybody always kind of thinks, you, you can never write UCLA off because you look at their UCLA off because you look at their roster. Man, these guys got some good players, man. They got some good players. They they, they should do well. And you know, I, I don't want to sound like that being John Malkovich movie, but it is Josh Rosen, Josh Rosen, Josh Rosen. I mean, if Josh Rosen plays the way he should play, which involves stop not talking, sitting in the mission, you know, listening to his new offensive coordinator, uh, Jed Fish, and 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 doing what he's asked to do, and knowing his playbook. And, 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 and maximizing the talent around him. He is, he is not only going to help this team be a threat in the South, he's going to get himself drafted in the top five of the NFL draft in, uh, 2018, spring of 18. And cause I just think he's a fantastic talent I and mean, he's so smart. He's got such physical ability. And the only reason he hasn't, he hasn't met that promise besides injuries is just kind of his, his, his belief that he's the smartest guy in the room. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be saying this, I, I wouldn't say this about a college athlete unless I've heard it from now multiple you know people and he just needs to humble himself before in front of the process and i and i think he will this year i, I have a hunch that he might because I, I think jed fish is not going to take a lot of crap from him he's an old harbaugh guy so i just i think that ucla is a legitimate threat uh to win the south 
especially going back to my whole thing about if you, something goes wrong for USC. Uh, because I think Josh Rosen is that good that if he's playing his best, they could beat anybody. And, you know, I love the early season. I mean, you can talk about a September 3rd game that has a lot of meaning for both head coaches. I mean, Texas A&M coming to yeah. California. UCLA should win that football game. They are better than Texas A&M. And, uh, and that will be a huge moment for Josh Rosen, for Jim Moore, for Kevin Sumlin. And it's a game that I'm really excited to see. Uh, that's a little bit off the radar nationally, but it's got a lot of plot line. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I see entirely what you're saying. I think the odds, this is a little high for me. I mean, I would have UCLA probably down in like the 20 to 1, 16 to 1 range, just because the offense was so bad last year. And, you know, I think Jed Fish is going to be an upgrade over Kennedy Palomalu because I, well, you know, not to speak ill of the departed, but uh, I, I think it would be hard not to be, especially with his pedigree. Um, but it's just that offensive line wasn't in good shape last year. Um, it's going to be in slightly better shape this year. They got a grad transfer from Miami, Sonny Adoglu, who's going to play right tackle most likely, but it's still, you know, it, they're one injury away on the offensive line from, you know, playing musical chairs and it not being a good look. So, you know, I think if everyone stays healthy, I think you're completely right. I just, yeah, I'm, I, and I'm a, I'm a, I'm a long-term skeptic of uh ucla so i'm gonna put i'm gonna put it down in the 16 to 1 10 20 to 1 range i probably wouldn't you know place a bet at this but i don't know what are your thoughts ryan um i mean i i think i told you my theory the offensive line is the big question for me you know giving up 24 sacks last year under three yards per carry but my theory on rosen is that he was the man and then last year when he gets hurt all you hear about is sam darnold and then uh, now you got the nfl stuff too jared goff over there Philip Rivers coming to town, and now you're talking about him being like the third or fourth best quarterback in the city. It's like, hey, what the heck's going on here? So I kind of feel like he's just, he's so confident. He's going to end up taking that and having a chip on his shoulder saying, look, I'm going to show everyone this is why you were talking about me being the chosen one. And I feel he's just going to go out and play lights out and have a really good year. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's right, maybe like in the teens or something, low teens. I thought they'd be about where they were. A nine to one might be a little high for odds, but yeah, I, you know, I, I do think Rosen's going to step it up this year and play a lot better. Some pretty big hits on defense: Tack McKinley, Eddie yep. Vanderdose, Jayon Brown, Fabian Moreau. Those are NFL players. You know, I mean, I, I'll be curious to see how good. And I know that people think that some of the the youngsters are going to step up, but I, I think that I almost worry more about the defense being close to what it was last year, which is pretty darn good considering how bad the offense was. Yep. Being uh, up to snuff while the offense improves. I think the offensive line, I mean, it, it, it's got to get better, right? I mean, You'd have to think much so, worse. right? Like, it's, it's, you know, these things even out, right? <laughs> Over time, they don't just stay <laughs> <Yeah>. horrible. <laughs> All right. Uh, so let's go back up north. This is an 8-1 to one shot to win. Stanford Cardinal. I read a story where someone was making a joke about the awful season Stanford had last year. It does seem like people were just like, oh, what happened to Stanford? Well, it was 10 and 3. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they beat Notre Dame, won a bowl game, and, uh, uh, you know, they just, they, they, they obviously had that, that, that bad, uh, experience with the state of Washington. Uh, but I, I, you know, you can't count Stanford out. I mean, they, they're going to be, they lose some pretty good guys, pretty good receivers, and, Christian McCaffrey is obviously the, the stud on that offense and was the player last year, and Solomon Thomas was the best defensive lineman 
in the conference last year. But they got a lot of good guys coming back on both sides of the ball, seven on offense, eight on defense. I think the quarterback situation, it will be better. Uh, uh, I don't know exactly what the, the time frame is on when Chris is healthy. But, I mean, I think Burns is good enough to do, do what they do. And I think they're going to get a little bit back to, you know, you know owning the line of scrimmage. And uh, the schedule, mm, you know, I mean, it's, I, I just think you can't count Stanford out. I mean, David Shaw is a good coach. I think everybody would agree with that. They have some question marks. But, I mean, I, I think that misses, the misses with Arizona and Colorado are, are decent. I think that the schedule is pretty decent for them. I mean, they've got uh, Oregon at home. They've got Washington at home. Those would be their top two competitors there. They've got to go to Washington State on November 4th. That's a tough game. But I, 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 think, that, I think that Stanford is, is a little bit like Washington State and that, like, I, I completely – would not be shocked at all if the Cardinal – I would not be shocked if Washington, Washington State, Stanford, or Oregon wins the, the North. I, I just think that that's a group of teams that are top 25 teams, maybe top 15 teams, and I think that the North division uh, is going to be very competitive. Everybody's going to put it to Washington, but, you know, Oregon, Washington State, Stanford are just behind them. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Um, I would like their schedule a lot better if they flipped that USC and UCLA game and they were doing at, US, at UCLA the second game instead of at USC. See, I think that's, you know, it's tough to say who it's going to be worse for, you know, which team needs to gel more, because Stanford's going to have a pretty experienced offensive line going into that game, but they do have some questions to answer on defense, and, you know, USC also has, you know, maybe some questions still to answer on the offensive line, but I think that one probably plays more in favor of USC, and if you gave them, if you gave Stanford even just, you know, three games to ramp up to that game, I would feel a little bit better about it. Um, but I, I think Stanford, you know, they're the. I, I think you can say pretty definitively they're the most, you know, consistent program I think in the Pac-12, especially over the last five six years. Um, and you know, I, I'm expecting them to be a you know a nine and three team. It, and that's almost like schedule regardless at this point, um, just because you yeah, know you, you yeah, look I at David Shaw. Fair. Yeah, David Shaw. You know, he 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 will have them ready to play. Um, you know, they might have one trip up game there where. You know, maybe he gets a little creative with his red zone play calling, um, but uh, for the most part, they're going to be a consistent, you know, nine and three, ten and two program. And if that's good enough to win the North, then they will. Um, and if, you know, if you needed to go twelve and zero, maybe not. But um, if if ten and two is going to do it, I think uh, they have a very good chance. When I saw eight to one, this is what I thought. Yeah, yeah. This to me is the best value on the board that we've seen. Um, yeah, I mean that's. Uh... Yeah, they you know they won their last six games in 2016. The secondary needs to get better, but eight to one for Stanford. I, I would put them as like an even thing with Washington. A lot of people have Washington, and they've been know. recruiting well. Yeah, yeah they've been yeah. recruiting well too. They got they got some players we haven't been hearing about. I mean, you guys know more about recruiting than I do, but they got some players that, that are not on the front burner for for the preview sections. They're going to be pretty good next year. Yep. All right, we got next up. So these are the last two. We have uh, at nine to five. Washington Huskies. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's the, the you it, if 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 Chris Peterson wasn't the coach, it would be like a prime time for like letdown season after the the breakthrough, the dramatic breakthrough. But again, like missing USC is 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 a big benefit that you know that everybody's going to be riding in that USC Washington game as an original game for the Pac-12 championship which could benefit the Pac-12 in a lot of ways instead of having a, a rematch uh that's going to be the final that everybody's picking Washington's got a lot of good players coming back 
Jake Browning. You know, they lose three starters in offense. Now I want to say that I think it was you know, I, I I told everybody in the preseason that John Ross was going to be a stud, and a lot of people didn't know who he was. Well, everybody knows who he is now. But so that's a big loss to the offense. They take some big hits in the secondary. I mean, uh, uh, three NFL guys in that secondary, but they got a lot of good guys coming back on defense and 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 the, the coaching. You got to feel like the culture has been established, a winning culture. They've got a lot of level-headed guys. The guys I interview on that team just have their have it together. You know, there's not a lot of look-at-me type players on that team. And I think it starts with Jake Browning, who even after the Pac-12 championship game, he just delighted me with his grumpiness with me. Just you media guys, <laughs> he reminded me of Chase Thomas from Stanford. Just just always grumpy, even when you know people don't respect us. I'm like Chase, you guys are ranked number two in the country. Ah, oh, they don't respect us. We should be number one. I'm like, oh god, you know. And Jake Browning's <laughs> just like that. It's like he's always got somebody somewhere that's bothering him, and I think that's how he feels himself. And I'm sure he'll hear the people, you know, say talk about his kind of inconsistency last year. Maybe, you know, using a guy like John Ross, who's the fastest guy in the Pac-12, to to catch those passes and make his stats look good. But I, I just think. Almost everybody is going to have Washington winning the North and USC winning the South, and that the people who don't go that direction are going to be doing so just to be different. I mean, these those are the two most talented teams. Those are the teams that seem to have it together in terms of coaching. And, and, and Chris Peterson, I mean, let's face it. I mean, he is he is one of the super heavyweights in college football. And you know what? He's got a good staff around him. Kwiatkowski on defense has done a great job there. They've been good after rebuilding before. It's just it's easy to be confident on this team. It's easy to be confident with the Huskies as as a national power again. Yeah, and if you look at the 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 schedule, it I mean it sets up really nicely for them to start the season. Ooh, gosh, eight and zero, seven and zero. That's some yeah. weak stuff. That's some I mean, weak stuff in the non-conference. Yeah, you go you go Rutgers, Montana, Fresno State, which should all be relatively easy wins you've got at colorado to open conference play which i'm not going to say is it going to be a cakewalk but they should win that game and then it's at oregon state california and at arizona state all of which should be wins they should be favored by i would think at least a touchdown in every single one of those games and against cal they're gonna be favored by about four of those um and then ucla a talented team but they get them at home and ucla you know we talked about their issues and then Oregon at home, I think, is going to be a legitimately challenging game, and we talked about that in the Oregon section. But I mean, I would I would pick them to be eight no through eight games. I mean, I, I look at that schedule, and I I think you know probably the aggregate odds would have them at seven and one or something in that stretch. But I would pick them to be eight no, you know, heading into Oregon yeah. November fourth. Yeah. That's I mm-hmm. mean, even with their losses, um, there's just not a whole lot of challenge in that schedule. I think when you see Jake yeah. Browning play his best, it's like. You know, if the competition isn't as good, I mean, he they just seem to dominate, you know, and there's a lot of that in the beginning part of the schedule. They should dominate. They're not a team that seems like they trip up against teams that aren't that talented that they should beat. They, they, the teams that they should beat with Chris Peterson and, and Jake Browning, they seem to beat them. So, yeah, I, I agree with you, Dave. I think that's an 8-0 start is really likely. And then 2-2 two and two is totally possible over the last yeah. four games because they got Oregon at Stanford, Utah, and Washington State, and those are – you know, maybe they're four, uh, you know, UCLA, you could probably throw them in that mix, but four, the, well, they're five toughest opponents coming the last five games, most likely. Huh. Yep. Yeah, but you know what? Good news for them is, is those last uh, five games, four at home. And Husky yep. Stadium is legitimately, I'd say, you know, at peak Husky Stadium, it's the toughest to play to play in the conference. I know Oregon fans are going to jump on me on that one, but, you know, and the USC fans too. But, uh, you know, why, that, that place is rowdy. And that team is, is on. And I think it's going to be rowdy 
for those games. <laughs> Why do you hate yeah. Oregon so much, Ted? That's what I was always wondering because you always seem to hate Oregon. Yeah, no, you really hate Oregon. Ted. <laughs> you hate Washington too, man. Why do you hate Washington so much? Um, Why do you hate the Pac-12 so much, Ted? <laughs> I do, man. I, I'm a hater. I'm pure and simple a hater. All right. We well, got... The best one was I had a USC fan get on me the 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 on Twitter uh, about a, six months ago, and it was actually pretty funny because a bunch of USC fans go, "You just did you just arrive here? <laughs> did you just get here?" I mean, this is the guy who's been defending defending us against the NCAA for years and stuff like that. It was funny because they got kind of bombarded by some of the USC fans that maybe were older than 12. But it was funny just to you hate USC. I'm like, what? Yeah, I think I remember that. That was like, really? It, it made it on our message board where everyone was defending you, which was good. But there's always like one or two idiots that are just think like, that guy hates us or whatever, you know. <laughs> um, well, speaking of, so the one last team, this is a, a 10 to 11. So you got to bet 11 bucks to win 10 is USC Trojans. You know, I think those are lousy odds because uh, uh, who would ever bet make that bet? Because you know, there's always so many variables there. But I mean, you know what? I mean, it's if you watched the Rose Bowl last year, if you listen to Kirk Herbstreit's commentary where he was just in awe of Sam Darnold. And I mean, I just I keep saying it to people. I, you know, Marcus Mariota was a fantastic quarterback, and Carson Palmer was an amazing talent who peaked his senior year. Matt Leinart did so much. I think Sam Darnold, to me has the most potential in terms of all parts of his game, from athletic ability to arm to accuracy to, to makeup, to the way he interacts with his teammates, to his just kind of chill way of being. I love he's a great basketball player. I think he's going to win the Heisman Trophy this year, and I, I, I think he's the best player in college football, and I think he's going to deserve it, and I think he's going to put up epic numbers, and I love the talent coming. I mean, you know, they don't have as many starters as a lot of guys coming back, but USC never does. And, I mean, there are questions on the offensive line. Uh, you know, they lost some pretty good players. But, and receiver, I guess, it, you, know, the, you know, you always like to have Juju around. But I just, I look at USC, and I think national contender, I think the defense is going to be better with Clancy Pendergast in year two. I think that, uh, I think the coaching staff has found its rhythm. I love Clay Helton's chill, and it just matches up with, with T. Martin and Clancy. And uh, I just, I like the way the direction of the program. And uh, I don't think those past bugaboos that hit Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, because those guys got distracted. That's nothing about Clay Helton to get distracted. He's just, he just wants to coach football. And, you know, they got some tests early. I mean, second week. I mean, Western Michigan's no patsy after, you know, earning a way into a, a BCS-type bowl game last year uh, against Wisconsin. I mean, it's, it's no patsy. And then they got Stanford and Texas. I mean, those are losable games early on, even though they're at home. But uh, – I, I think that USC has the potential if they if they do their thing of going unbeaten and being in the playoff. I, I yeah. think they're that good, and and I think Sam Darnold that good. Yeah, I uh, I 100 percent agree with everything you said. Starting with the garbage odds, you know, I USC is definitely my favorite. My you know odds on huge favorite to win the Pac-12, but 11. To, I mean, what do you even? Why would you even make that bet? No. Um, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at the schedule. 11 bucks. <laughs> they even get the easy. I mean, to your point, they even get the easy breakdown of uh, of opponents in the north. Um, there's just there's so much to like about the schedule. Um, the non conference is certainly tough, um, but they're better than Western Michigan, even though that's a you know Western Michigan team that nearly went undefeated last year. 
Um, they're going to be better than Tom Herman's Texas in his first year. Now, if this was a year from now and they had to play Texas, maybe it'd be a slightly different story, but they're going to be better than first year of uh, Tom Herman's Texas. Um, and they're better than, you know, a Notre Dame team that's going to be better than 4-8, and eight, but they're not going to be, you know, an 11-1 and one Notre Dame team suddenly. Um, Sam Darnold, I, I, I pretty much agree with everything you said, is, you know, he's got that unnatural feel where, yeah, he's got a strong arm, and yeah, he's pretty accurate and all that other stuff, but just guys don't even touch him like he'll have rusher like some some quarterbacks you know if there's one rusher coming at him he can't avoid him Darnold has that ability to just kind of pirouette between three different guys and then pinpoint a guy you know 25 yards downfield and you just can't really that's not even a thing you teach that's just something that's a little bit innate um and he has that and uh I think you know even if you have questions about the offensive line or a few different you know whether they're going to replace Juju or all that stuff They've got that guy, and as long as he doesn't get hurt, um, uh, it's hard to see that offense not being spectacular this year. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't touch these odds either. Um, and then I, I would still pick him as the favorite, but like a two to one or something, not like ten to eleven. But so they do rely on Sam Dar a lot. He's a you know generational talent. Um, but if something happens to him or he doesn't have his great you know great year, I think they're going to be in trouble. They're going to rely on him quite a bit. And there's a lot of parallels between 2017 USC and 2012 where you know there was all this hype coming into the season and they were preseason number one number two whatever and then they ended up going seven and six I don't think that's going to happen I think Ted mentioned this like there was a lot of distractions with Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian I don't think you see those same kind of things Clay Helton's more of just a no nonsense he's just coaching football he's not trying to do you know all these crazy things Lane Kiffin's all the antics off the field there were so many things going in that 2012 season where they just fell flat on their face. I don't see that happening, but there's slip-ups for sure on the schedule that could happen. You know, playing Washington State Friday night on the road after a back-to-back road game, it gets Cal, but still, um, you know, six days rest, two road games in a row, and you're playing Washington State and Pullman at night. I mean, that's a little crazy. I mean, there's there's places they can lose. You know, they could lose to Stanford easily second game of the season. They, they, they lose them fairly often. So there's a lot of hiccups potential. So I wouldn't take these odds, but I would still have them as the favorite. Yeah, but they're all hiccups. Like it's, they'd have to be substantially worse than everyone thinks they are. Darnold would have to be substantially worse than we all think he is, or he'd have to get hurt for them to lose three games. Like losing three games would be very, very tough with how good Darnold is. Yeah. I just, uh, I, it's hard to see. And I, he just, he just doesn't seem like a guy who's going to have that so-called sophomore slump. I mean, I, I, like I said, I think something has to happen weird for us, like just epidemic injuries starting with Darnold. Uh, for something to go on now, like you said, that Stanford game, that that game is is, is always kind of been a, a, a nemesis for both teams. Usually, the team that's higher thought of loses it. Yep. You know, Stanford went down to USC a couple times when they were in the national title uh, contention. So it that's out there and really an early season game that's kind of a measuring stick for 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 them. I mean, that's a rough schedule. I mean, they don't have, like you said, I mean, they got Cal, but I mean. With the non-conference schedule, all of those are challenging teams. They'll get credit for playing challenging non-conference teams, but they're all winnable. I mean, Texas is winnable. Notre Dame is winnable. Western Michigan, obviously, is winnable. I mean, it's just they're going to get credit for playing a tough schedule while also being the better, more talented team on the field for 12 games. And uh, and, and I think that matters. And, and, again, like I said, I just – Lane Kiffin was, was, was worrying about silly things, you know, just – Getting mad at the media, trying to, you know, the inflating football, all those different things that he, just, he got distracted by. Like, Helton is not going to do that. I mean, Helton is going to coach his football team. And I think he's got a, 
you know, I think he's got a chance to win a national championship here. And, and you know what? That would not be shocking kind of in USC's history that usually their distinguished coaches uh, turn things around pretty quickly there. Um, Dave, we've already gone like an hour, almost an hour and 20 minutes. I feel like we've kept our guests quite a long time. I know we have questions and stuff, but you, you think we should wrap this up? Yeah, let's wrap up. We can, uh, <laughs> let's, let's try to do, um, let's try to do another one next week actually and okay. preview, uh, you know, media days and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, let's, let's tackle those next week. So if we didn't get to your question, we're sorry, but we don't want to, you know, keep Ted for the rest of his life here on this podcast. Yeah. I feel, Ted, I feel like, I feel bad. Like we didn't give you like, Usually they're like 20 minutes, half an hour, like hour and 20 minutes of your life we just stole. I'm sorry about that. Well, I don't, I don't know if it was your, was your fault. You could see, like, maybe I haven't been doing a lot of uh, talking about college football. It just kind of <laughs> came out in, like, this sort of quasi-diary of the mouth. I was like, man, I'm being long-winded today, aren't I? It was great. It was great. That was uh, that was that was more <laughs> thorough than we ever um, have the even capability of being. So that was great. I yeah. think our listeners will enjoy <laughs> education about college football for yeah. once. And we do appreciate it. Cool. Thanks so much well, for uh, coming on and joining us. Absolutely. Hopefully, hopefully we'll cross paths down the road, guys. All right. Thanks, Ted. Yeah, thanks so much, see Ted. That's Ted Miller. Does a great job covering the Pac-12. We hope to see him soon. So follow him on Twitter and uh, find out where his next uh, exploits will be. For David Woods, this is Ryan Abraham. We are the Podcast of Champions. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time.